Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show. It's time now to talk about the Carolina Panthers. Jim Zoki Panthers Radio I Network. I don't, I don't get Big Ten expansion. Yeah, I, no you Big wanted Ten that, expansion? You wanted that so badly, didn't you? They just annexed or, Mexico, the uh, Big Ten. The complete <laughs> annexation of Mexico. Or do you want the Iowa and Iowa State football players gambling? I'm what? hearing the story from you guys. It's like, that's crazy. It, it is. is. Iowa State is, is in chaos. To sum up what's happened in Iowa with both programs and gambling, which has gotten out of hand, uh, there's not a lot to do there but gamble. Yes. So they've got they, they go to bars and they gamble and they – the Iowa part of this, they don't score a lot of points, so some players on the team were betting unders last year on their own team. By the way, as someone pointed out on Twitter, is it really gambling if you bet the under in an Iowa game? Like, like <laughs> it's just assume. What, yeah, what is the risk in taking the under in a Hawkeyes game? Yeah. What is the over-under, like 17? <laughs> it was 45 in that game okay. where this kicker bet under, and of course you're going to hit that one. Uh, Jim Zoki is with us. we got to talk Carolina Panthers. Uh, Fan Fest, amazing crowd last night. 39,000 tickets were distributed for this one. You've been, you know, making that drive, you know, to and from camp a bunch so far. You've seen Bryce Young. You've seen the way he has performed. It does sound up and down, which for a rookie is not shocking. More good than bad, though, right? Like, I know I know, people are getting hung up on the interceptions. He had one late last night, but, like, more good than bad from Bryce, isn't it? Oh, yeah, great, great yeah. in all kinds of ways. Because when you're talking about quarterback, you're talking, obviously, it matters what you do on the field. But just the way he commands the offense. with uh, Don't forget, he's surrounded by veteran guys. So he comes into this team, and he's completely taken over the huddle. Locker room, good guy. I mean, Bradley Bozeman was talking yesterday after the practice about he first came in. They gave him the play call. He turned. He barks it out like he's been doing it like his whole life. And he said he's just that way all the time. That matters when you talk about even just stuff like just the, the, the machinations of just getting through a huddle and running the team and all the stuff beyond doing the physical part of the game. And I'll tell you what I like about him and I also like about Frank Reich was there was the one pick you talked about at the end in the two-minute drill was that. Frank takes the blame and goes, that's on me. I put him in a yes. position for that. I mean, just the humbleness of, like, you can almost see, like, Frank Reich and Bryce Young, like, arguing about whose fault it was. Oh, no, it was that my that fault, happened. Coach. No, yeah, I'll yeah, take yeah. it to me. So, but that collectively gives you a real sense of the personality of this team and that uh, they, they share in all of that. So I, I love hearing about that. Yeah. I made a game-time decision last night. I've been, like you said, I've been down to training camp. And, you know, I give it four, do the morning show, drive down there. <laughs> just look at Sandra. I'm tired. I go, this is on television. I can yes. just sit home, watch it on television. And they did a great job. You know, Taylor and Smitty, they do a great job. Tons of interviews. The interviews are good. I'm like 20, 25 minutes into it going, I have no idea what's going on because everything's these tight shots because they don't want to show alignments and plays and all this. So it's like going, yeah, oh, it, was, it makes sense. But it's just like on the other hand, I'm like going, 
didn't uh, didn't think about that because we're usually doing like a show out there. We didn't have a WBT show out there last night, like uh, at least a pregame going into it or whatever. So I'm like, oh, I'll just watch the practice. I've seen enough practice. It was so frustrating. And I, I guess I, I get, get it. I get you it. You can't yeah. give away. And at one point, Taylor Zarzer literally explains like, hey, because they're installing a new offense, we're not going to be able to show you much. And it's like, oh, man, this sucks. Yeah, so Matt they, Rule showed everything to us. They would, <laughs> Matt Rule said, hey, go work whether we showed it or not. Yeah, so bro. It but um, so they're showing us Bryce Young. He throws a ball and the crowd is cheering and I'm like, what was it? What just <laughs> happened? But anyway, they made a bunch of big plays apparently. The crowd was into it. That's cool. And fireworks were great, apparently, afterwards. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I couldn't go. see that One either. guy making those plays, DJ Chark, I think if you watched on TV, you might have saw his toes last night. Uh, <laughs> do we have to sort of reassess the wide receiver group with the way he's performed in camp that, hey, there hasn't been a number one, but there's been a lot of guys that are going to be guys that can catch the football. But is DJ Chark a guy that might be a number one for the season? I would call him, you know, as far as July, August, star of training camp, I would say DJ Chark's been the guy that you would say has had the most big, impactful highlight plays. He catches everything. Uh, I mean, don't, like, don't say too much now. We don't want to give it away. Well, we can't. <laughs> we can't show it to you, but uh, <laughs> uh, but we uh, we will tell you a little bit about. It. But I think he's like, like I'm old enough, like the Willie Mays over the shoulder catch kind of thing he did in practice the other day, where he's kind of bending his body back and sliding to catch it. So again, this has to translate into tackle football on Sundays. But he's been around the league for a while, and I do think he kind of reminds me of like that component of when Ted Ginn was really on his game. You know, the speedy guy when Ted was having his best years, and he was an up-and-down player in terms of his career here catching the football. But if uh, if he's a consistent catcher of the ball, DJ Chark could be that take the top off a of defense and use him in other ways where there's a chemistry obviously being built with Bryce Young and him right now. Um, Zoke, let's talk about Jeremy Chin's role because this thing is a mystery to us, right? And God bless him. He's got to answer questions over and over again about his role, and I'm sure he doesn't want to fully describe every little thing he's going to do. He says when he's out and about, he just keeps it simple and says, I'm a safety. But Joe Person said, when it's a refined audience like us, how would you describe your role? And he says, nickel and dime, but it's a little more than that. Are you noticing at practice like where he is lining up? Is it is it over the slot receiver? Like what what's he doing the most, or is it literally everywhere? Like have you been able to gather where the hell he's going to play? Well, again, we can't talk about it, uh, but uh, there is a, a lot of what you're describing is where he's he's lined up against a slot receiver, yeah. and so again, nothing stays. You have to change looks, uh, and there's different subset packages and all that. But a lot of it is going to be him. In general, near the line of scrimmage, not as the deep safeties where you, where you got uh, Woods and, and Bell back there. So he's going to be used much more like he was his his first year in the league. Although that was a straight-up linebacker, yeah, right? that was like, like, a high, like, like, like a light linebacker, like a hybrid kind of role. Or he's kind of, definitely, yeah, more of a linebacker kind of role. Here, past defense as far as what you're talking about in the slot and stuff like that. But when you're playing close and it becomes a run play, now you've got his tackling abilities. Yeah in that eight in the box or whatever down there where he comes in that way. So that's that's why it's kind of that Swiss army knife kind of thing, because as you know, some guys are really good in coverage and okay or lacking in tackling. And some guys are the other way around. This is a player that can do both, but I think he is really exceptional for his size as far as being a a tackler. So I like having him closer down that way. And a guy like Frankie Louvu to me, who's always around the football, as we like to say, so either forcing a fumble, creating a fumble, tipping a pass, that kind of thing. So that's where he comes in handy. I think is being down close that way. Jim, what would you make of the signing of Deion Jones the other day? Back and I were thinking, hey, that could be one of those 
under the, the radar, really uh, end up being a great value signing for the production that he had. Five or seven years, mm-hmm. pretty legit football player. Here. No, he was. Of course, he was hurt at the beginning of last year in Atlanta. Then he got moved to Cleveland during the season. And Cleveland did not have a good defense. So uh, it, it was hard to get any kind of sense of, of his uh, abilities there. But when you look at the body of work uh, with Atlanta, a veteran guy that can come in and just has gives you depth, gives you rotational abilities there behind Shaq and Frankie Louvu. And I still contend there's going to be times where you know Frankie can be put out to the outside more because he's been used that way in the past too, where you could have packages where Deion Jones is inside and maybe Frankie is over on the outside in certain situations. So yeah. it just gives you, uh, with guys like a linebacker that's been around the league six, seven years like that, almost like plug and play because they just they come in they learn the terminology quickly they're in with veteran coaches and they just they just grasp it really quickly so i think he's just a going to be an easy guy to plug in there just to be you know solid football player he's had a really good career in this league so last night on the tv coverage of fan fest that we're talking about Don't say they, too much one of the things they did <laughs> is the interviews the interviews there were some real good ones shy todd we got to talk to him at camp next oh, week oh, he, yeah. was great. he is a damn riot he doesn't he doesn't fit the name does he dude no, he is definitely not bashful not, he is not shy he is not not shy he he brought up something him and Derek Brown were being interviewed by Carla and he says should we tell him about the TNT and Derek Brown's like no way don't do it like I don't know what that means or what that (laughs) refers to but he was getting ready to give us a secret uh he is a trip but the interviews were good (laughs) one of the interviews was of Scott Fitterer Mm-hmm. And he said, he kind of changed the way he phrased the edge question, because much like Chin, he's answering the same questions too at camp. He was asked about that edge spot opposite Burns, and he did finally kind of admit, ideally, we go outside and add someone else. And he talked about how important that position is. And it's not the first time he's referenced that to some degree. He's referenced as a possibility. I don't know if ideally he's been used like we want to. You know, I don't know if he said it kind of that strongly. Do you think they're going to do it? Do you th- And do you think it's a name out there now, like in Gakwe or a guy like Melvin Ingram? Do you think it's maybe someone that's cut? I think that's like, the thing you have to wait on is like you, you'll want to just say we're just – it's almost like drafting. We're not just going to go in this slot, go in the second round draft to edge guy. And the same thing with this. It's got to be the guy that fits, that they have their eye on. And I'm sure like all the other teams in the league, they have a sense of what teams have guys that are in peril of not making their 53. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of times it's not because you're not a good football player. It's because we want to keep an extra lineman. We want to keep an extra wide receiver. We don't need that extra you know, fourth defensive edge or whatever. So I think that's it is that you definitely want to wait. And, uh, you know, the bargain bin of talent is uh, to wait for the cut down. And, of course, as we all know, they now do it all at once at the end uh, from 90 to 53 in one swoop. So I think that's the smart way to go because there's going to be so many names who just salary cap wise don't fit. They got a young guy they want to take a look at. They just don't need a talented player. And you got 31 other options out there. And same with us. When we cut guys, obviously guys picked up by other teams released here that are talented football players. So that makes sense first to just why not have the entire allotment to see what is out there. And I'm sure they have a sense at that position of who some possibilities are when they get down to the cut down. One of my favorite shy Tuttle moments was on the blueprint show when he was mic'd up, Mac, running the drills with Derek Brown. A mini camp, and he didn't like the way Derek Brown ran the drill. And he started, he, he was messing with him. He started cussing at him to, to go do it again. So he was like coaching while he was playing. He told Derek Brown to get back in there yeah. and do it again. And they were laughing at it, but he was basically coaching during, during that. He's session. an interesting guy. He and is. one of the things about him, they brought this up on the broadcast last night. I didn't get to see it on the field, but they brought this up. Like, I think it was Smitty that brought it up. He's five years in. Yeah. He's not like nine years in. Like, 
Right. I, the Panthers, and somebody was talking about this, they feel like in this Averro system, there's like another level for him, mm -hmm. you know, to play that no spot and produce even more than he did in New Orleans. He was a pretty good player there. Right. But they think he can be even more than that. And Deshaun Williams, Brian Burns brought him up last night yep. when, he, when they asked about guys that, you know, are getting after the quarterback, you know. And he brought up Deshaun Williams and then uh, Henry Anderson. Said Henry Anderson was his sleeper or sleeper whatever. Sleeper pick or wild yeah. pick or whatever at the so end. So, yeah. like, there's, I think there's some guys that we're not talking about on this D-line, Zoke, that they think internally will we'll, we'll supply some pressure. And we saw, that he's been talking about a little bit in the camps down there, too, you know, Marquand McCall, what a big body he yes, is, but yes. like freakishly agile yeah, for that. Definitely. And, you know, in a 3-4, that's that's what you want. They, they call it playing a gap and a half here. So if you can do gap and a half, and in some cases get two gap, I mean, that's amazing that you can just clog up and free up Brian Burns, whoever. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the mystery edge rusher in the future will be. Yitor <laughs> 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 Gross Matos, obviously Marquise Haynes has had the back thing that's held him out, but I think Marquise has been an underrated guy when L as far as rotationally having him in there. I think for the amount of snaps he plays and what he does, I think Marquise has been really productive in that role. Yeah, situationally. Right. The thing is, I don't know if you want him as your starting. Yeah, but just that rotational know. by committee. And again, Definitely. however you want to go about it, to me, like you said, because starting is first down. To me, he's more you know, very effective. Very like third and eight, third go down. get the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Zug, it's been really cool to us to see the... Uh, the legends of the past sort of embrace the Reich revival that's going on here. Mm -hmm. They were at fan. Um, they were at the the stadium at, on Saturday in Spartanburg. The, a lot of the same legends were back last night. There's a guy that was there on Saturday and and last night that looked just like Chris Gamble. Uh, can you confirm that that was that was Chris Gamble? Because we have not seen Chris Gamble at anything in about a decade, and now he's been at events twice yeah, in the last couple. It's of crazy. Days. I only saw the TV coverage. <laughs> I cannot confirm. Chris Gamble allowed to show you Chris Gamble, Gamble on the TV coverage. Like legends that might return. I would have yeah. Chris Gamble. Not that he's a, he's just quiet and he goes about his life. He's been there twice now in a week. And if you look again, the interceptions and in the career of Carolina Panthers underrated. Like, I mean, just so underrated, but what a valuable player he was, and really good at yeah. punt returns and things like that when he played here too. So yeah, not when he threw the ball backwards on a punt return. That, 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 that wasn't his strength. That was a, that was one of the weirdest John Fox plays I've ever. That, that, that was another situation where the coach said, "That's on me." He had, <laughs> because that dude, was just a bad idea. Because I think we were leading in that game, right? Yeah. Was we like were leading. We were half. winning Minnesota. the game against the Vikings yeah. in Minnesota, and Foxy, like one of the most conservative coaches you'll ever Never. see. Decided to get so frisky <laughs> with a punt return throwback where your quarterback is throwing the ball across the field. Yeah. What about, the hell was that? about literally throwing a game away? Oh, we were about, why? Why? Oh, that was horrible. <laughs> that will never be forgotten, man. All right, Zoe. Well, we appreciate oh, it, man. Yeah, man. You the man, Zoe. Sometimes had fun. Appreciate it. How about you. Uh, Camus Grugier Hill? He's got like 19 interceptions. Dude so is making. <laughs> Are you predicting he will lead the NFL in interceptions as a linebacker? He may, he may break the NFL record this year for linebacker interceptions <laughs> at this pace. Oh, we weren't allowed to see that last no. night, so unfortunately. We can't All speak right. about it. You demand, Zoki. Okay. You yep. demand. That is Jim Zoki, who, by the way, came in here taunting me wearing his Braves hat. I forgot he, about that. He knows I've been kicked out of Braves Nation. <laughs> there was hallway chatter that you were Braves slandering yesterday, so I forgot at four in the morning. I was trying to today. pump up my Orioles. My Braves are my second. Well, actually, they're not my second team anymore because we had a trial and I got convicted. 
Yeah, you. Well, kinda, apparently, you, I'm done. You did it to yourself, fella. <laughs> what do we stand on calling Bank of America Stadium Frank of America Stadium at some point? Anything there, you guys? Okay. Yeah, I think there's anything, anything there. Anything? Kind of like I'm, it. I'm just one more shopping here yeah, with my guys. Right? Like, like how that. we call it the bank. It's just called the Frank. Yeah, the Frank. <laughs> yeah, sure. they, they haven't they haven't talked about it that way since Frank Garcia ran that building. <laughs> All right, best Frank they've had since. Well, you got Frankie Louvu, but oh uh, uh, yeah, it's straight pretty up Frank's pretty good Frank. Frank Garcia. Alexander didn't make the all-time. Frank's no, list. he did not make. All right, so Carry on. You are the Thanks, man. Sir. Sit tight and stay locked because instant replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. Let's move back to the Carolina Panthers conversation because here we are talking about the rookies. Wes, Bryce Young, quarterback, number one overall pick. He's playing like the best rookie on this team. Not just because he's getting the most opportunity, but he's playing very well in training camp, mini camp, workouts, whatever camp or offseason activity you're talking about. Bryce Young has looked really impressive. I think he's clearly been the best rookie. Is it a concern that we haven't had a whole lot of fanfare for the other guys like a DJ Johnson, like a Jonathan Mingo, probably the most under talked about wide receiver on a production basis? Chandler Zavala is not playing because he's injured. Jamie Robinson, he got beat by LaVisca Chenault yesterday, which it's a mistake. I'm not going to say that Jamie Robinson is playing poorly right now, but haven't heard a lot from him. Is it a problem to you that Bryce Young seems to be the only rookie we're hearing a lot about? Or is that just, hey, he's the quarterback. Everybody's going to be paying attention. I'm going to give it a little bit more time because it's so early in camp. But I would say for now, I would say, yeah, I think you would would like to hear about uh, a few more guys splashing. Uh, this is a small rookie class. You only have five selections. So I think you'd want to at least hear about two, maybe three of those guys being able to make plays. But uh, some of the injuries have been catching up to some of those guys. that has been hampering them. Uh, but like I said, there's a long way to go uh, in camp. And so I think I'm going to reserve a little bit there because I do think a guy or two will flash, especially when we get into game situations. But as far as today in a vacuum, yeah, I think so. So let's talk a little bit more about Bryce as Bradley Bozeman did. Here he is talking about his quarterback that he's going to be working with this season. And just absolutely dominated this role that he's been in. Um, everything he's been asked to do, everything that's been uh, put on his plate, he has, has stepped up to the plate to it. So um, just done a, he's done a great job managing it, staying confident. Whenever mistakes happen, just moving on to the next play. So Bryce Young has been balling, no doubt about it. Has the interceptions, but it's okay, I told you. In the last segment, I actually kind of like that because it shows they're not playing or practicing scared. The other rookies haven't heard as much about. You say that you're going to give it a little more time, as you should. It's the logical take. I'm not going to worry. What? We're just a week in. They started practicing on Wednesday of last week after reporting over the weekend and on Tuesday, the day before practice started. So a week in, it's totally fine. I know you came across an interesting article talking about the age of these rookies. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes it's a deterrent for you to draft some of these first year guys. But DJ John, John, uh, excuse me, DJ Johnson as a raw type of player, a little bit older 
we don't ex- we don't usually see that age of him being what is it like 23 24 with that kind of raw title that you're coming in as a prospect Chandler Zavala yeah. a little bit of an older player right Jamie Robinson Jamie Robinson is a you know an older type of rookie as well mm-hmm. what do you make of them drafting older rookies in this year's class well the thing that's interesting I, and I found it to be uh, intriguing because, like I said, we had the pandemic year and things of that nature, and they talked about how D.J. Johnson was born in 1998, the same year as Brian Burns, Derek Brown, and Jeremy Chin, but all of these guys have already put in three years of work in the league, and D.J. Johnson is 25, and so Chandler Savala, who was also in school for six years, 24 years old, he was born before J.C. Horn, Terrace Marshall, Tommy Trimble, and Chuba Hubbard. And so uh, Panthers vice president of play engagement, Kevin Winston, though, said that he took notes on how older players manage their time late into their college careers uh, when he interviewed them at the combine. And so he said a player who learned how to create his own routine and knows what he wants out of life in the NFL could be set up for success uh, once he gets there. So I think you do get a little bit more of a seasoned guy. You may not get the the full lifespan. We know about the lifespan of an NFL play. I think now it's two and a half years, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, the younger, the better. But like DJ Johnson said that he took the extra seasons uh, that he had in school and he said it made a big difference in his off-field demeanor. And he was saying how he's more chill. He doesn't go out really ever at all. And he said he spends a lot of time working on his craft and uh, hanging out with the people that he loves the most. So uh, I just found it interesting that those two rookies, and it's a thing, too, we're going to see across the NFL because even some of the guys that didn't get drafted, they're going to be some undrafted free agents that are going to make this league. And we're coming out of the pandemic class. I believe that this year is the last pandemic class in college football when you talk about Sam Hartman and those guys. So uh, I just found it to be interesting because I know that was a big knock on DJ Johnson when they drafted him they're like hey you drafting this kid who's 25 years old who already looks like a finished product yeah. and how much better can he get once he gets to the league yeah and, and my bad with Jamie Robinson he's 22 it's it's not crazy old it's it's about you know and maybe on the little older side yeah but you, you see mainly guys, focus on Zavala and DJ but the fact that those guys are the youngest and they're 22 mm-hmm. it goes to show you with Zavala and DJ Johnson being older than both of them to me Wes it goes to a theme that I've talked about this entire offseason trying to you know thread that needle you know, when you're when you're trying to figure out how to win right now and also build towards the future it's a little different with dj because we haven't seen him put it all together and so that one's a little bit of an outlier it doesn't make sense to us because usually when we talk about a raw prospect we're talking about somebody very young that mm-hmm. maybe had one year's worth of production mitch trubisky comes to mind when we had that conversation about him only starting one year being a raw qb but having a good year even if it was just one in college and chicago decided that was going to be their qb in that nfl draft with dj older guy that did not put it together but has all of the tools and tested very well athletically Chandler Zavala, six-year guy, you bring him in. And even for the offensive line, Wes, when you want to keep a strength to strength, when you have an injury to Austin Corbett, when you have familiarity with Icky Aquanu and Brady Christensen, as you know, I think he's a good offensive lineman. Love him as a swing guy. If you need to bring him in, play outside, inside, real versatile. Brady Christensen is someone I think is really valuable to a team, but maybe not always as a starter. And so if you look at Zavala, he can come in and be a strong 
run blocker right away, especially if you want to set the tone. He's not going to be pushed around, mm-hmm. especially on that left side. And so I wonder if that was a part of their thinking, too. Not that they would draft those guys instead of a player they think could be better long term. Not that they were sacrificing long term success. I do wonder if that was just the icing on the cake for taking some of these players that they did in the third and fourth round because they feel like they can help right away. They've talked about DJ setting the edge. So they're not asking DJ to rush the quarterback and even finish with what, five sacks this season? You know, five would be pretty damn good for a rookie situational pass rusher who's competing with a veteran like Marquise Haynes, odd man fronts like Derek Brown, what's going to happen when you don't have another guy opposite of Brian Burns, and he's the lone pure pass rusher on the field. Mm-hmm. Hey, DJ, just set the edge, man. Just make sure you can contain these mobile quarterbacks. Don't let them get outside. Can you simplify the game in the short term and then build a cr- build upon those athletic traits in the long term? With Savala, you tell me. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not saying that offensive linemen don't have a hard job because they certainly do. But the concept is easy enough. Don't let your man get by you. Right. You might have some things that you have to, you know, on pole, whatever. Right. But don't let your man get by you. Block that guy. Right. You can simplify the game, but somebody's going to pick it up a lot better as someone who has been involved in the game for a lot longer than a 22 year old. Now you got somebody that's been involved a couple more years. I wonder if that was a part of the process as they look to make a real run at this postseason with how bad the NFC South. Yeah, is. no doubt about it. I think you bring a good point to the table. And there are young guys who can definitely uh, get, get to the league and, and understand things quickly as well. But when you do have guys that are veterans, they are going to be uh, a little bit more mature. They are going to be a little bit more seasoned. And as you said, they've played six, seven, or in the case of the NC State wide receiver, eight seasons of college football. Yeah. So uh, they've been around some some great coaching and they've gotten a lot of coaching and they've, they've gotten extra years of coaching. So I think that certainly bodes well for some of them. We'll see uh, with these two. I'm also interested in the coaches, the age of the coaches, right? Because Frank Reich has been doing this for a long time, whether he is someone that has been involved in the game as a quarterback whether he has been a play caller working with the Philadelphia Eagles, everybody credited him so much with doing a lot to help them get to the Super Bowl. Any good year Carson Wentz has had, or even mediocre year Carson Wentz has had, it's been with Frank Reich. And now we've seen him as a head coach, work with a different quarterback every season with Indianapolis. Hopefully he gets stability, any any type of stability with Bryce Young as his QB. So I really like Frank Reich, but a veteran in the league. Here comes in Thomas Brown. Having worked with Sean McVay, who is a bright offensive mind, Wes, we've had this conversation a couple times before, but it hadn't been brought up recently. What's the timeline you expect Thomas Brown to take over as a play caller? And does it ever happen before a team might like Thomas Brown themselves and say, hey, maybe he could be our head coach. We've seen it happen before. Yeah, and I think obviously it depends on how Carolina's offense fares. And I think the thing that he's going to get stuck in maybe is that Eric Bieniemy type of deal where uh, he's with the Frank Reich. And so whatever success the offense has, people are going to attribute it mostly to Frank Reich. But they've been talking about how uh, their friendship has been fast forming and how they've been getting closer. And he definitely sang the praises uh, of Thomas Brown the other day. But they said, you know, he stated that he's going to be in charge of calling plays, Coach Reich did, but that he's been eager to welcome in the different train of thought to his, quote, baby uh, and, and that being his offense. And so with Thomas Brown coming from a different 
different system. They're going to have to meld uh, their approaches together and be collaborative in this thing. But to answer your question, uh, I think to me it would have to be this season, Frank Wright carry most of the weight and then let Brown take over next season. But I always think it's going to be a collaborative yeah. uh, effort to a to a degree, because I think when you're an offensive coach like Frank Wright, it's still going to be hard. If you see something that you don't think is necessarily working or you see something that you don't necessarily like, because you have to run your game plan by the head coach anyway, no matter what level you're on. So I think there may be some things that he might tweak or tell Thomas, hey, I don't like that, or let's try this, things of that nature. So I think at most, I think this season will be Thomas Brown's year where they'll kind of be uh, more collaborative than maybe they will be the rest of his tenure. And I think next season he'll get a little bit more of the reins. And then I think after that, you may see a team come and maybe scoop him up. Problem is, if it's working and it works well this year and they get to the postseason and the offense looks better than expected and it's Frank Reich calling the plays and Thomas Brown is helping out and calling some plays and putting together some packages throughout the week, but they win 10 games, whatever type of success they experience, then it would be hard to convince the team, hey, you know that success that we had last year? Yeah, we're going to switch a few things up. Like, wait, is doesn't this fall under the don't fix it if it ain't broke mold? And even with those guys working together... It doesn't seem like a drastic change that Thomas Brown would take over and have 51% control, whatever you might deem authority, sole authority over the play calling. But I think that would be kind of hard to navigate. And then if that's the case, Thomas Brown will look to move on to get a new head coaching job and he'll get interest. If Carolina's successful, everybody eats. That's just how it works. It doesn't mean that he's going to get a job. Because we've seen that before. But it does mean that he is going to get interest. He is going to get interviews. And that'll be interesting to see how all of it plays out in the long term. Sit tight and stay locked. Because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta. Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. All this stuff going on around college realignment, it all just boils down to one thing. And it's like I say with the Costanza reference all the time. Wait, 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 wait. Is this about money? Yeah, it's about money. So it basically is a just amalgamation scenario of everything that's going on right now in the world of college athletics. We'll talk about it right now with man who is on the OG podcast. He is Joe Ovius who joins us on WFNZ. And Joe, uh, have you mean mugged a Florida State fan today? <laughs> Yeah, sorry. The, uh, the the ice hockey rink where my kid's practicing right now apparently is a cell phone-free uh, facility. Who knew? Regardless, look, here's the thing, man. I get what you're saying about the, the lot. We want football to happen, but what kind of football are we getting? We got like a Hall of Fame game tonight. We're going to say Aaron Rodgers tonight? No. no. So the thing that occupies our time is this fantasy talk scenario of where my favorite schools are going to go. And there's one thing that college fans love to do is they love to tell you how much better they are than your program. In my timeline, my emails, YouTube comments have been filled with Florida State fans who are coming at me about their overall record since they joined the ACC since 1992. You know what you sound like to me? 
You sound like NC State basketball fans. We're still talking about 1983. Y'all, that was 30-plus years ago. I'm 44 now with two kids and balding. I was 13 when y'all came to the league, okay? So the, the point is, Florida State is in a position where a lot of blue blood programs who once had glory are having a hard time getting used to the new realities of college football and college athletics. And Florida State's biggest problem is that they're blaming money for the reason why they're in the position that they're in. But money's not the reason why they can't beat Florida State the last three years, or Wake Forest the last three years. Money's not the reason why they blew a three-point, a seven-point lead against NC State last year and had a quarterback who did not throw a pass, and they lost to the Wolfpack. That's not a money issue. That is poor decision-making over the last 10 years. It's the same problem that Texas has. Texas has all the money in the world. And they truly think that because they can't beat Iowa State consistently in the last couple of years in the Big 12, that they're suddenly going to compete with Alabama and Georgia? All this stuff is very much blaming things that are not in your control. What is in your control is hiring the right people, and these schools haven't done it, and they're trying to find other excuses instead. You, you and I might have semantically the same take on this but i almost think it maybe it is a little bit about money it's about foolishly spending money because of the fact that yeah. you have buyouts on three different head coaches right now yeah i mean well the other thing too is when you did have money and you had jimbo fisher you also didn't make him happy but then again jimbo fisher has all the money in the world of texas a&m and what have they had with him right Squadoosh. so so this idea that money is the root of your issues is false absolutely false and I, it, unfortunately, college athletics somehow persists with great ratings and the expansion of the college football playoff because people love the schools. But in the grand scheme of things, the product has gotten incredibly worse over time mm -hmm. because regional rivalries are gone. You know, what, for instance, NC State and North Carolina are prime examples of this. NC State and North Carolina are historically 500 programs. 98% of the college football world lives in that world, okay? They're not Alabama. They're not Georgia. They're not that kind of stuff. And it's kind of, it's kind of the point where state fans, Carolina fans, can't enjoy a nine-win season because they didn't make the college football playoff. They can't enjoy nine regular season wins and a nice bowl trip and maybe get to ten wins because, well, you know, we didn't win the division or whatever it was. But that you live in life like 98% of college football fans right now, and we've unfortunately lost track of what makes college football fun. I love that North Carolina and NC State are this rivalry on football, and it's our little rivalry. It's regional. It's fun. That's what gets people to care. But, you know, the nationalization of this stuff and the chasing of money has ultimately ruined the product, and the administrators don't seem to care. Talking with Joe Ovius of the Joe of the OG Podcast, joining us here on the Kyle Bailey Show, Sports Radio 9 to 7 WFNZ. Fr from the ACC perspective, do you feel like there are teams that are out there, or schools, I should say, that are out there that are almost kind of rooting for Florida State to, you know, keep this going and, and try to at least, you know, chisel away at this grant of rights, which seems impenetrable? I think there's a couple of things that, that are true right now. I think others in the ACC are looking at that LSU-Florida State game and rooting, and I can't believe they're saying this, they're rooting for Brian Kelly <laughs> to go kick Florida State's ass. Like, oh, 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 oh all that. You were back, we're back, and look at you. You can't beat LSU. But quietly, yes. If Florida State wants to be the one to truly test the grant of rights and spend all that money on legal fees, and they actually find a way a way forward, then yes, other schools 
will be happy they did it because it'll better their situation. We talked to Bubba Cunningham, the North Carolina AD, a couple weeks ago. And Bubba Cunningham is able to discuss what's going on in the ACC like an adult, explaining what it would take to leave, North Carolina to leave, or any other school to leave. And he did it in about a 60-second soundbite that we put on social media, and it's been a reference point for a lot of people. Now contrast that to Mike Alford, the AD at Florida State, and the Board of Trustees members, and Drew Weatherford, who's a part of the board, who's a quarterback, who ended up getting beat by Wake Forest 30 to nothing in unconquered jerseys. They're doing it in a very petulant way, that makes you wonder what their ultimate goal is. Do they think if they stomp their feet enough, they're going to get their ice cream Sunday? Do they think if they stomp their feet enough that the Big Ten's going to notice them? No. The ACC is not going to give them what they want because they don't have any leverage. And these schools basically have to sit tight and deal with it for the next five years at least. Maybe by the time you get to 2029, maybe by the time you get to 2030, you can truly test the grant of rights. But right now, man, you can't do squat. And I wish they'd just shut up and go out there and try to win some football games. I totally agree with you. And, and looking at uh, some of the other situations, I mean, the Pac-12 right now is in a shambles. Uh, do you feel like we are talking about the Pac-12 as existing if we sit here one year from now? No, not at this point. They had an opportunity when UCLA and Southern Cal decided to bolt for the Big Ten about a potential merger with the Big 12. They were like, nah, not our deal. Big 12 ended up being proactive about it. You see how they're bringing in Colorado. Now let's not be let's not be crazy here. It's not like Colorado's bringing historic, you know, history of success to the Big 12, but they are at least bringing some sort of name brand recognition thing to Deion Sanders. So that leaves the Big 10 in a position if they want to. And, and the other thing too, not to get too nerdy on you here, that's probably too late. Television matters here as well because my guess is that Fox and Disney, who are the television partners for these conferences also don't want to overspend. These are like more mouths to feed. They wanted to bring UCLA and Southern Cal to the Big Ten for market reasons. Fox is based in L.A. Those are L.A. teams. And I'm sure that Southern Cal and UCLA, as part of the agreement to go to the Big Ten, were saying, we have ownership of the West Coast in your conference. They're not going to want to add Washington. They're not going to want to add Oregon. They're leaving for a reason. So what happens to those other schools? Not sure. Maybe the Big 12 can pluck the, the four-corner schools. Maybe. I don't know. But then you have to ask yourself, what are they really bringing to the table? And I think that's what all fans need to understand when we start talking about realignment. It's no longer about market size. It really is about brands and value. And for the ACC, because people say, well, they have to be proactive. Go out and get UConn. Y'all, UConn's not moving the needle in football. Mm -hmm. Oh, you, you need to go get this team. No, because they couldn't get distribution in the last 10 years. What makes you think they're going to get distribution now? And ESPN is not the powerful entity that it used to be in terms of negotiations with distributors. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners will understand this, that they look at their cable bill and they've made some hard decisions. And ESPN has had direct impact on that. And they're really struggling to find out what to do next. And the last thing they want to do when they have other bills due, like the NBA, future relationships with the NFL, is overspend on college properties that are not going to move the needle. He's one half of Ovius and Giglio. The OG is on YouTube. And, of course, anywhere you get podcasts. Joe Ovius joining us here on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Big fan, Joe. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Take it easy. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice.
We'll also get an opportunity to talk some basketball now with our friend Rod Boone, who is joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. The Hornets unveiled their brand new ownership today. Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall spoke to the media a couple hours ago, and uh, Rod kind enough to join us while on deadline to talk about it on WFNZ. Rod, what's going on, pal? How are you? I'm sitting here in the media room at the arena, buddy. You just finished up my story. You know how it goes, Will. You are uh, quite the grinder, as always, my friend. Uh, did you get any impressions that were different than anything you might have had coming in? Uh, yes. Actually, I spoke to both owners after the press conference. I'll have a story posting here shortly. But um, my take is they're very enthusiastic, and they really want to bring a winner here to Charlotte. You can tell that they have basketball knowledge, that they just want to do something big here with this franchise. So my first take and my impression from these guys is they're smart, um, they're really bright, and they're going to be fun for basketball here in Charlotte. What do you make of the fact that they both have basically kind of acted in concert to not make any immediate changes to the Hornets' structure currently? Well, I think that's smart. I mean, to me, if you're um, going to be a, a smart businessman, you want to essentially observe from the outside looking in first. Then you come in here, you see how things are run, you see how the season goes. If things don't go the way you want, if they have a losing season, then you probably clean house and bring in your own guys. But to come in here in August and make changes right away, to me, makes no sense. So their approach is smart and measured, and we'll see if it works. I I think the biggest thing that my question is, and again, it's the same question that I asked those guys, and I think they answered it in kind, is that, you know, what tangible difference is going to come from them owning the club as opposed to Michael Jordan owning the club? And, you know, just changing ownership doesn't mean that all of a sudden you can just sign anybody you want. It takes winning. It takes a lot of other things that are on side. But I guess what do you expect to be run differently in in a sense in terms of uh, these guys versus what uh, what MJ had? Well, I think um, more than anything else, maybe they'll go out there and spend a little bit more money. Now, that's not, now obviously, MJ spent money, but sometimes he didn't spend it maybe as wisely as maybe he would have liked to, per se, looking back on it with some contracts he actually doled out there. But with these guys, you can tell that they, they, they have money. That's the first thing. You know, billionaires, that's um, money goes on trees for these guys. So for them to be able to come in here and Open the checkbooks for the most part will be good. But again, make sure you give people the right contracts and, and you, you're using your payroll the right way. I think that talking to those guys, they know how important it is to have um, this franchise be a top 10 to 15 market. You can tell that they understand it's like a sleeping giant here in Charlotte, and they can just go about their business and make sure that they do it the right way and and plan on long-term success. They'll they'll have a winner here. That's what they think, and we'll, again, we'll see if it happens the right way that they think it could happen. Rod Boone joining us from the Charlotte Observer. His story posting here momentarily that uh, covers his exclusive conversation with Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall, the new owners of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, it didn't come up in the open forum uh, were you able to get any sense of their feeling about the Miles Bridges situation? Um, they, when, I, when I spoke to them, they mentioned Miles a couple times, and they mentioned that they hope that Miles gets back to the player he was a couple years ago. So from their perspective, they obviously were on board the decision. Um, you know, when they're trying to figure out whether they're going to bring Miles back or not, um, it's hard to obviously Michael, but Rick and Gabe were also in conversation as well. So they feel like 
Miles is a key part of this team. Obviously, so is LaMelo Ball. Same with Gordon Haywood, Terry Rozier, uh, Brandon Miller, they like him as well. So they have the pieces they feel here in place to kind of just build around. Now it's about going out there this season, seeing how it all works in the court, and then maybe add a piece or two there, trade the line to kind of figure out what you're going to be come March and potentially in April. Rob, the majority of the teams that have been owned in this town have been owned by singular faces or singular figureheads or just one person we could always point to. This is a situation where not only is it two men at the top, but there's also a consortium of minority owners. Now, again, they're not going to necessarily have a controlling interest or, or voting interest, so to speak. You know, I don't think Eric Church is going to be out there on trade deadline day making phone calls. But what I will say is that is there a different perception with it being two people at the top as opposed to just one singular figurehead owner person? Um, I guess you can look at it that way, and we actually talked to them about that as well in our conversation. And, and you know, Rick and Gabe mentioned that to them, it's fun to actually be co-partners. You know, obviously most teams, as you mentioned, have one figurehead owner, one person out there just making decisions. But they think that having two will be good because it can bounce ideas up one another. If somebody has an idea, the other guy feels maybe it's not as good. They can go back and forth and figure out if it works or not. So, to me, it's a little bit unique in that regard because you won't have one guy just going out there and saying, it's this way or the highway. So, if you look at it from that perspective, if you're a fan, it's probably good because that means you won't have just one person that's like a dictator. You have two guys plus others trying to figure out the best way for the franchise to actually move forward. I'll ask one basketball question, Rod, and then I'll let you fly. P.J. Washington scenario still unresolved. How do you feel like it gets resolved? I think he's still going to come back. Again, um, you know, I'm writing about this for a while now. He wants to be back. The Hornets want him back. But it's all about numbers for both sides. P.J.'s side has their number. The Hornets have their number, and, and they can't figure out just come to the agreement right now what that number should be. So I think at worst – He'll be back on the qualifying offer, a la Miles Bridges. Um, you know, but I can't see him being anywhere else right now. Most teams will have any cap space for one. And for two, again, I think he wants to be with his team. He likes the mellow ball, likes Miles Bridges. He wants to be here. But it's more about can his number and the Hornets number coexist and they get along the way they should. Should be a little bit of a more quiet scenario on the Hornets' uh, front here over the next couple of months. Uh, they've been definitely wearing out the uh, the podium layout there on the concourse at uh, Spectrum Center. But uh, big, big announcement today with Plotkin and Schnall in, Jordan out, although Jordan is going to maintain a minority ownership. And as uh, the two gentlemen did state today, they do want to make him have a maintained presence here with the Hornets. Rod Boone of the Charlotte Observer covering the Hornets. Appreciate the time as always, Rod. Thank you so much for uh, getting in with us on a busy day. You got it, Will. Anytime, my man. You tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan.